Lord, we come before you and ask you your wisdom and guidance as we look at your word. We ask you to be with those that are sick. We especially think of Kelly, who's being flown to Phoenix for surgery, and and Lord, just all the others that are not doing well. We just lift up the, this church and the individuals here, and we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 15, very short, but lots of stuff in it, so let's take a look at it. I'll start just by reading all eight verses. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of gold of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, you King of saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, and your judgments are made manifest. And after I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and seven angels came out of the temple, having seven plagues, clothed with pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with the golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke and the glory of God, and from his power, no man was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. All right, very short chapter, but we're going to see where we head from it. And John, uh, we've had this little gap where we had a the, the prophecy within, a, within his prophecy that we talked about. There's this gap of, of the flow. And so now he goes, And John saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them was filled up the wrath of God. So John's looking, he's still seeing, and now he sees seven angels. And remember, we've had the trump angels blowing the trumpets before. And so he's now seeing seven more angels. And his description of this is, it was great and marvelous. And, you know, these, these are very strong words. You know, great uh, in, in here is mega large. I mean, if you put mega in front of something, it's an old word that means you know, grandiose, big. It means large, bigger than whatever else. Um, you know, Walmart, Walmart calls their stores superstores, but they could have called them mega stores and it would have been the same, same idea. It's bigger than our normal, than our normal store. Well, it sounds, it sounds uh, because it's part of another language yeah. and, and, and type deal. So, and then it says it was marvelous. It was worthy of admiration or literally beyond human comprehension. So he's seeing something that he's having a hard time understanding. And remember, he's already had his mind blown with all these different, <laughs> different things going on. The, the, the destruction of the, of the place, these wild-looking demons coming out of the earth you know, to, to cause pain, pain on people that's so bad that they, want, they wish they were dead. Uh, now, this is a vision that I can't even imagine him having, you know, somebody from the very, you know, the, the 100, you know, before 100 AD seeing, just seeing things that are going on in our day. And you think how much things have changed yes. in just our short time. 
you know, it wasn't so long ago that, uh, you know, that traveling across the ocean was a huge deal. You know, before planes, you know, it took you two to three weeks to cross the, cross the ocean in a ship or, or before that, you know, before that you had the sailing ships and you were talking six months to get across, across the ocean. Uh, to cross the United States used to be a big deal. Now we fly back and forth. You know, people fly back and forth. Or, you know, you, you, if you happen to be in New York, you can fly, you know, to Europe in in matter of hours. Uh, and you know, and I remember growing up where a long distance phone call was a was a, was a big, big deal, deal because yeah. it cost so much. And uh, you know, we always lived on the East Coast, and we were trying to call you know our grandparent, grandma and grandpa on the West Coast, and it's like once a month we could call them and you talk to her for. You know, hi, Grandma. I'm doing goodbye. You know, that's about what it was. You know, by the time you put all the three, you know, the three of us kids on the phone and oh, no, that, that that minute timer thing, yeah. that hour yeah. thing. You had to keep the call very yeah. short. You know, because if you went too long, it was. And now we can make long distance phone calls on our cell phones with no problems. Or you know, most people have long distance plans on their on their home phones. You know, and they're and they're free. You know, our world has gotten so much smaller than it has been in, in recent years. Well, it took time. And I've commented, you know, just in the 1800s, this was a big deal to move to do what I do every day, coming from Kingman to yeah. Chloride. Uh, and that was a big deal. You either took the train, which took, which I have a schedule, it took the train over an hour to get here from Kingman. And if you rode your horse or, or you know, you're talking day. about an all day, all day excursion to get some place that I come on every day to minister to and go back home on the same day. But you, you imagine that John was seeing this stuff, you know, seeing cars, planes, missiles, battles that he couldn't even comprehend. And here he's seeing another, and this is why he brings another marvelous, you know, sign that he sees. Uh, and he doesn't really fully understand what he's seeing, but he sees, he sees seven angels having seven last plagues and these ones by the word last means the the extreme the last in place this is going to be the the fulfilling of God's wrath upon the the people he we've already had our trumpets being blown we've had the seals being broken so we're on the last plagues of this world getting ready to come come to God and this is really and it says that the that these that these plagues are filled with God's wrath. Okay, these are God's final judgment upon the upon this world, and we're going to see Him pull put it out. And filled up literally means complete, finished. It's the same word that Jesus said on the cross: "It is finished." It's that same word here. This is God finishing the judgment of the world at this point in time. Then there'll be the white throne judgment and all that coming at the very end. But this is his last wrath on the, upon, the, upon the people. This is going to lead to the destruction of everything. And verse 2 says, And I saw, as it were, a glass, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand in the sea, in the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen the sea when it's extremely calm. You probably have yeah. been in, in San Diego, and yeah, every once in a while you'll see a lake or a, or the ocean doesn't usually stay too calm on the uh, on the beach level. But if you look far enough out, you see what looks to be just smooth, it's beautiful. And, and it can be very beautiful. And the, and it usually refers to a large expanse because if you look at any one spot of it long enough, you see the waves and movement. 
And here he's seeing this large thing that just looks smooth and clear. And he's seeing this large area and it's, he sees it mingled with fire and fire is always about the tribulation and everything. And you look at who it's, who's seeing on, on it is going to be the saints. Those who have got victory, victory over everything. And what did they get victory over? Over the beast. Okay, and that was the creature that came out of the pit <laughs> to rule. Over his image, and his image was stood up and they forced people to worship the image or be killed, which was reminiscent of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the, in the field on the plain of Shinar that had to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar's image or I be killed. I love that part. That was so cool. I love that story because it shows oh, I love just... I love what they, what they said to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar when he says, who can deliver you from me? And they go, our God can deliver you, but whether he does or not, we will not bow. Our God is able to do it, but even if he doesn't and he takes us home, we're still going to follow him. And that is an attitude we need to be developing as times are changing for us, and especially here in America. It's going to get to the place where we might have to pay with our lives for standing for God, or at least our freedoms. Uh, being sent into jail, which if you were sent into prisons or jails will eventually die because the, the, it'll become a death penalty probably. And in Revelation, it is a death penalty for those tribulation saints. And then over his mark, remember the part, what that means is they had to take that mark and without the mark they couldn't buy or sell. And that is a big deal too. If you can't buy or sell, that's a tribulation because if you don't take, if you take that mark, you're automatically going to hell. If you don't take it, you you're standing against him and you're going to die anyway. And then, then it says, and the number of his name, which we talked a little bit about what that number is in the Babylonian system and nobody really knows what it is. But it says, they, these are the tribulation saints that are standing in this, in this area that he's seeing. Okay, because what it, we know that because of what it says that they overcame. This isn't the church that has been raptured. This isn't the... The, the fallen saints, you know, before that, this is the ones who are dying during the tribulation period. And here they are. And it says, they're given harps of, to, of God. And I don't know, I'm not musically inclined. I don't know if I want a harp. I can't play instruments very well. But, Me neither. Uh, so I don't know if I want a harp, but it seems like there might be harps for the, at least these tribulation saints. Yeah. In verse 3 says, and they sang the song... And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, almighty, just and true are all your ways. You, King of the saints, who shall, fear, who shall not fear you, O God, and glory, glorify your name? For you only are holy, and all the nations shall come and worship before you, and your judgments are made manifest. And this is the song they're singing. It says they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and if we look at that, that would have been the, at least one of the big ones that we have is Exodus 15. Right after they crossed the Red Sea, it says Moses sang the song. And there's a couple of psalms that are Moses' songs. And Moses' songs are praises for what he's done, you know, what God has done and, and God's greatness. And we need to be thankful. And this is something that's very important for us. We need to be thankful for God for what he's given to us. Even in times when it seems like everything is hard or going against us, we need to develop that attitude of praise. God is doing it for some reason that's good. And remember, I used, we used to have the quote up for a long time, 
God's will, God's perfect will is what I would choose if I knew everything. Okay, God knows what is good for us because he knows everything. He knows what's coming our way. And a lot of times he's preparing us. You know, he prepares us with little small things so that when bigger things come along, we're ready. Okay, when we, if you learn to do something, you don't start out doing the hardest level. You know, usually you don't start out doing the hardest level. You start out learning simple things that lead to confidence in a, in a bigger thing. When you, most of us probably don't remember when we first learned how to cook, you know. Nobody said, okay, we're gonna, we're, you're gonna cook the whole Thanksgiving dinner for your very first time you've ever cooked is not what they're going to do if they really want a Thanksgiving dinner, okay. They'll have you peeled to cut the potatoes so that you can, you know, put them in the water to boil, but they're not gonna give you the whole, whole dinner because that would just terrify somebody if that was the very first thing that they ever, and I'm talking about first thing they ever cooked. You know, it's hard enough cooking your first Thanksgiving dinner and getting everything all out close to the same time. I remember when I was married, made my first Thanksgiving dinner, and my sister and my husband came, and I was over my mother-in-law's, and she come over, Jesse, you did it by yourself, and she had to. <laughs> Mine's on making her own Thanksgiving dinner. But if you're into sports, it's the same type of thing. You, you're. You're not thrown into the varsity team on the very first day you show up for playing a sport. You know, you start you start out learning. You know, how how do I even catch the ball? How do I put the glove on my hand and catch the ball? You know, it's and we laugh when we think about that because how easy it is. But you know, you hand a glove to the first time. You know, somebody who's never seen it or anything, and they're going, okay, how exactly do I put this on? How do I hold? You know. And we, we see these things. We don't start out at the hardest level. We work our way up. We learn. But then you learn our way because I did that for the, uh, the outfielder, put the glove on. When the ball came, stupid me, took the glove off, caught the ball, and broke through. <laughs> That's what the glove is for, I guess. Then. I took it off because I didn't know how to, you know. <laughs> how, to, how to see through it and yeah. how, to, how to hold. So but, it did my fingers big time. <laughs> but we have to remember, we, we don't start at at the highest level and God doesn't do that to us as his children either. He teaches us step by step, little bit by little bit. Now each one of those steps is hard to us at that time. You know, when you're first learning and we've used it, if you're learning, if you remember, none of us remember, but if you've seen a child learning to walk, that kid falls down and you don't say, well, you stupid kid, well, can't you walk, you stand up and walk, you lift the kid back up and <laughs> encourage them, you know, because they are learning. I remember first starting to walk, my mom and dad would say, no, don't touch the things, the oven, there's a turkey in there, and I put my hands on the hot oven, and I learned really quickly that walking wasn't such a hot deal. I mean, it was, I burned my hands really badly, and it made a big fuss about it. So I remember that from my childhood, my first walking days of putting my hands on that hot oven. <laughs> Never to do that again. Yep. So the song, the song that we're singing here, that they're singing, they start, they start giving it to us. Great and marvelous are your works, praising God. And this word, great again, is mega, big, hard to understand, you know, and then marvelous, beyond comprehension. We need to really come to the conclusion, most of what God does is beyond our comprehension. And we're told in the prophets that he's, greater than we are. He's high, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, everything about God is bigger than us. Hard, you know, harder than us. And they're singing, great and marvelous are your works. And it's, 
just you think about it, you look around the world and all that he created. I, I, I marvel sometimes when I look at the different world. The world. When I was in college, I studied cellular biology, and, I, and the more I studied cellular biology, I'm wondering how can anybody even believe in evolution because of how complex the cell is. <laughs> Our body cell is so complex that it, there's no way that it could have just spontaneously created itself. I never got that far with school. <laughs> well, I, I love science. I've loved science, but I mean, just the I like cell. Science. Just the, the basic cell is so complex that it could not have happened on its own. And people want to believe in evolution. Then you look at how everything interacts and, and is moved together. And all, you know, If you want to mess up an a ecological system, introduce an animal that has no predators. And you'll mess up the, the ecological system in that area real quick. And it happens a lot. Or a plant that is doesn't have anything that eats it, you know, introduce it and it'll it'll overtake everything. All Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, you King of Saints. And this is the praise they're saying: just God is just. Now that's a concept we all really want to have to be true in this world, and usually isn't true. You know, it's hard to have just dealings with people because people are always trying to angle something and, and make something happen for their benefit rather than everybody's benefit or, the, or for the truth. Even our courts aren't necessarily just as anybody who's ever had to deal with them knows. Mm -hmm. And they've never been. I mean, it's not just our generation that has this problem with unjust courts. Uh, it's always been if you had enough money to hire a good lawyer, you can get out, you know, get out of it. And that goes way back. You know, they had courts in the Roman days and the Greek days and the Babylonian days. Uh, courts have been around forever and you, you've had lawyers to help defend, your, defend you. And so the richer you are, the more likely you are to get a good, good ar you know, arguer for you to get you out of trouble or buy yourself out of trouble. But God is the one who is just. When people appear before God, at the white throne judgment, and even at the, for us at the Bema seat, there aren't any excuses. He is absolute, absolutely just. And it, they will not be able to say, I didn't know, or I don't know why I'm going to prison, or, or going to hell for, for eternity. He is just, and they will know exactly why. And then it says that he's true. And I want to read the definition of true, because this is a powerful definition. That which has not only the name and, and semblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name in every respect corresponding to its ideas signified by the name. Now I'm going to break that down a little bit because it's very powerful and I'm not sure if you really fully grabbed hold of that. Something that is true <coughs> is not just true in appearance. And this would be like advertising. You know, if you've ever listened to advertising, they're, they're really big at advertising in appearance and making you think you're getting something that you're not really getting, even though they're not supposed to be able to do that. They do it all the time. You'll see on a packaging, new. That doesn't necessarily mean that the product inside the package is new. It may be the packaging itself that is new. Uh, they might have added one spice to it, so it's really not new. It just... <laughs> Slightly new, you know. Uh, so there's all that deception that goes into true. And we talked about that in, in uh, 
the Leviticus class, how God declares truth being that you tell everything about it, not just, you know, in our... What you in, want them to hear. You didn't, yeah, you don't just tell them what, the, what you want them to hear and leave out the rest, you, you know, and, and call that truth, which is what is, you know, what our age and every other age pretty much has always taught. You know, give you half a truth, you know, half of half the truth, you know, without saying anything that is what they call a lie, but they're just not telling you the whole thing. But God is the one who's true. When he says something, it's true. It is true. Nobody not just an appearance, but it is true. And this is what that whole thing, it, it's nature is true. He is true. And everything about what he says is true. It just doesn't look true. It's not a half truth. It's not... Three quarters true. There's not even 99.9 percent .9 true. It's like yes and no. It's totally. And that's what Paul tells us. He, and we as Christians are supposed to. He says, "Let your yea be yea, mm -hmm. and your nay be nay." You don't have to swear. You don't have to. You know, if if you say something and you're actually walking in Christ, living in Christ, your word should be your bond. You, if somebody should be able to trust you, if you say you're going to do something, you say that this happened. People should be able to look at you and say. I know that it's true. And we are great people. Humans are great at making half-truths and three-quarters truths or 10% or truth, you know, and leaving out the rest. What's that? Truth um, by obfuscation? Yeah, truth by obfuscation, yes. Is that part of the Bible. truth? That's hiding it. That's hiding it. That would, that would be the same thing. I think reading the Bible makes you realize that you have to say the truth because you know what your faults are now. Like, and... It's just like learn. I, I, I'm learning from that a lot. The more we get God's word into us, the more of God we get into us, the more we're going to be truthful because he's going to come out. And this is very important. When I tell somebody I'm going to do something, I'm going to do everything I can to, to do it. Even if something better comes up that I could have done, I'm still going to try to follow out because I've been trained over the years and through the word that when you say you're going to do something, you do it even to your hurt. And in our, in our day and age, that's getting to be really rare. You know, you'll get a phone call. Well, I said I was going to go, go take you for a ride, but I've got this opportunity to go to the football game, so I'll, good luck on, what, on your day. I'm going to the football game. You know, it's, and that's not uncommon, that kind of a phone call or a baseball game or whatever it might be. I've got a better, I got a better deal on the plate, so you're out of luck. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And God, when he gives us a promise, we know that we can count on him. And that's why it's important to get into the Word of God, as you said, because we start saying, okay, this is what God has said. He's going to hold on. Now, sometimes it doesn't look like he's doing it. Uh, Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good. When we're in the middle of a really bad situation, we're going, God, it sure doesn't look like this is for good, but <laughs> you've promised that it is, so I'm going to hold on to it. And, uh, and I, there's an old poster that I remember of a cat holding on to an oh, end yeah, of a yeah, knot yeah, on a rope yeah. saying when you can't do anything else hold on tight yeah. and sometimes God's promises is all that you have to hold on to. When I promise something it may take me a little while like I am going to get those things for you I just haven't got that yeah. yet. So I am going to get those things still for you. I haven't forgot. But, but sometimes that's literally all we have is we have God's promise that something's true and you're sitting there feeling like you're over a, a volcano or something, getting ready to fall into the lava, and all you have is this little promise to hold on to, but hold on to it tight. And you'll see that God is true, always. You'll always see that he's true in his time. And that's the thing we've got to remember for us. We as humans want everything, you know, most of us are so impatient we wanted yesterday or last week or even last year, you know, and God's saying, just be patient. 
He's being patient with us. Yeah, he's being very patient with us too, not giving us what we deserve. So we just hold on. Hold on tight to what he promises. Because even though we can't see it, in, the, in my 40 years of walking with him, every time I've gone through something that I couldn't see how it's going to be to my benefit, almost everything is, I've already seen how it was to my benefit or for somebody else's benefit. And sometimes it's for other people so that I can be able to be able to minister to them because I understand what they're going through because I've been through something similar. And in, mo in many cases, it is to prepare me to go through something harder in the future. And that's something you want to be aware of. Sometimes there's going to be trials that come our way. Don't ever think that just because we're a Christian that our life is going to be all trial-free. You know, we've all been walking with God long enough to know that there are trials in our life. Like I say, the trials make me tougher. They do. They make you tougher. They uh, which doesn't matter. Kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. There you go. I know you're stronger. The, the, we want to be, you know. Thank you. The one thing about that, and this is something that I heard one of the pastors say, is when God speaks, he puts a positive spin on things. And things like, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger and everything. That is a really a kind of a negative way to look at the good things because it's, well, well it's just going to help me in the long run. But God's really got something positive for us in each of these, in each oh, of I these tests. The reason for everything. And he wants us to learn to walk closer to him. And all of the trials that we face will push us closer to him if we let them. I mean, we have a choice. We can say, God, I'm going to draw closer to you because of this. Or, God, I just don't understand this. And I walk away from it and, and, and live miserably for a while until I finally come back to God. But it does make it easy when we're looking at saying, God, you've got good out of this. It does make it easier when you're hiding in him and just letting him. And you hide in him and let it all fall on him anyway. And you don't even feel the trial anyway. You don't feel until you look back over it and say, wow, it's been pretty rough this last month or last year or last two years or however long it might be. But when you're looking and you're hiding in God, the storm breaks on him. It doesn't break on you. And it's not positive thinking and all that. It's just reliance on God. And our, and our positive attitude of relying on God is a good thing. But we look at it and say, and it is very much true. We can always find good in everything, or we can find bad in everything, depending on what our attitude is. And I, I had find a, more good now. And I've heard it. I've heard. A, I've heard it. One of my friends used to say all the time, "It's all attitude." It really, and it really is all attitude. Do I trust God that there's good in 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 all that's coming my way, or am I going to be looking for the bad in everything that comes my way? Uh, you know, being the Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. You know, a beautiful day. Or, yeah, it's a good day. It's going to rain tonight or tomorrow or the next day. You know. You know, and you know, we could be totally miserable <coughs> even when everything's going right if we want to be. And we can be joyful all the time. All the time if we choose to be. And I heard it said long ago, I have my choice when I get up in the morning to decide whether I'm gonna have a good day or bad day. You know what and I it's do. me who decides that, not not yeah, so. circumstances. And when I when I've had some accidents, I've looked for God. You know, one time I had three accidents in a period of a year, all been not my fault, people rear-ending me. And I was like, okay, are you okay? I'm more worried about them than I am about myself because I know what's happening in my life. I know that God's in control. And so we want to look and say, what is good? What is good in what's going on around us? And start looking for what God is doing good. 
And God is not stingy. And God is not stingy. No, he's he he pours things out so fully that they overflow us, which is what we were talking about in on Sunday. He pours his grace on it, and it overflows and splashes over everybody around us if they if they're wanting to pay attention. And we just look at this and say, God, what have you got? Uh, Blackaby said in, in experiencing God, if you want to experience God, look for what he's doing and join him. God is doing things around us all the time. We just need to look and say, God, what does he want me to do? And get out there and do it. And the more we get into the word, the more we pray, the more we spend time with the people, the more we're going to see what God's doing and the more we're going to be surprised by the opportunities to come up to share him. I love it when Sharon talks about having talked to people about God from all around the world because they come to her shop. Yeah. You know, that is looking for opportunities to share God in and all opportunities. Times when they buy, they buy stuff, I'll stick one of those pamphlets in here and not even tell them, so then they'll they say, oh. <laughs> all right, verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord? And I love this not. This not is very emphatic in the Greek. It means... No, never, certainly not, not a chance. <laughs> okay, so he's saying, who shall not? There's no way that they're not going to fear you, oh God. And this is powerful because it is talking not about today. It is this, what these, this song is talking about the end. And remember, in, in Revelation, we're told that every knee will well, bow. Satan confess. is going to bow. Everybody who says there's no way I would ever bow to this God I don't believe in is going to bow. I want to see Satan bow. Uh, they're going to bow even if they're forced to bow. And this comes from, this picture comes from the victorious leader, you know, bringing, and they would bring the king in front of the other king, and if he would not bow on his own, the soldiers would forcibly <laughs> make them bow. They are going to bow. They may not have the attitude, and, you know, and, and this is not saying they're going to have an attitude of bowing, but they're going to be forced to bow. To bow. And, be, and so in here it says, They will fear you, Lord, glory, and glorify your name, for you are holy, and all nations shall come and worship before you, and your judgments are made, are made manifest. All nations are going to bow before God. All kings will bow before God. All the spiritual demons and everything will bow before God and acknowledge that he is the ruler. This is now, a powerful... Well, on that, will all the bad people bow to them? Okay, yeah, that's Every knee will bow. Yeah. All will bow before... Now, we will bow... Very oh, willingly yeah, and happily. Oh, yeah. I'll bow for your uh, <laughs> they, you know, the, his enemies will be forced to bow and acknowledge him, and it, because he is worthy of the worship, and 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 his judgments are made manifest. They're, they're going to see. They're going to see the things that they had not seen. So will we. When when God shows us our life, I believe He's going to show us all the times that He's kept us alive, all the times He protected us, all the times He provided for us that we may not have even noticed or seen. Because there's so much that goes on in this world around us in the spiritual realm that we are not aware of. But then I think back even way before that I really, really turned into into God, that he still protected yes. me because I'm thinking back, well, he still did. Many, many times people will talk about before they got saved, you know, they'll think back at all the times that they should have been yeah. 
killed in an accident or my dad recalls an accident that came off of an axe before he got saved and was headed straight for his head that it veered, not him, but the axe had veered at the last moment. So, so well, that's not right now, but... <laughs> Uh, but, you know, there's all these different stories about how God has protected us before we're saved, after we're saved, and there's going to be ones that we don't even know at all. And God will say, here's where you were protected. Here's where I cared for you. Here's where I showed you my, my grace, my love, my mercy, especially grace, love, and mercy before you are saved. He kept you alive so that you could get to the point that you're saved. <laughs> Verse 5, and I behold, and after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now this is kind of an interesting statement because it's usually called the temple or the tabernacle, and it can be the tabernacle of testimony a lot of times in the, in the Old Testament. But you don't usually see all these terms together strung in one long, long term. But it is the heavenly temple is opened and we've talked about this in many times we talked about this in exodus especially the plan that god gave moses for the tabernacle he told him be careful that you do exactly what i've said because it was a picture of the heavenly te temple and here we see it it's the heavenly temples opening up and and inside there will be the mercy seat and the altar of showbread and the, and, the, and the illumination. And here in heaven it's opened. The real one, the right one, the correct one. And out of this, in, in verse 6, And the seven angels came out of the temple, having seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with gold, golden girdles. So out come angels. And these are mighty angels because the golden girdles, the, the, when they talk about the golden girdle across their breast, that, that signifies rank, and usually a color would in, indicate different ranks. Okay, because I was wondering and if you, what that meant. And if you see military, the higher, you know, the more, in most militaries, there's a few that have, don't do this, but the, the higher up you are, the more gold you get to wear. And, and uh, unless you, my mom worked for Com Sinkland one time, and they had some, corporal or sergeant coming in and he was all decked out he looked like a general and everybody's saluting him and he's you know like i'm you know i'm just a corporal <laughs> i had a girlfriend when i was young and I went over our house we went our house and her dad came home and he had he was in the service i don't know what branch but he had like all kinds of medals and pins and i, I don't know what's higher than a, a general the president <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, there's five levels of president, but there's. Uh, but these angels are coming out of the temple, and it says they hold seven plagues, which are, you know, God's judgments. And a plague is a public calamity. Now, a lot of people go, I'm being plagued. No, you're not being plagued. You're being tested or tried. Uh, but plagues are public calamities. And if you think back in the ten plagues in Exodus, where. The, everybody's water's turned to blood. There's flies everywhere. There's frogs everywhere. There's locusts everywhere. Uh, not just a, an individual. So it is so a... So plague means for the whole thing, not just one person. Yeah, it would be a whole community, a whole, a whole state, a whole country. And so they're holding these things that are going to plague... The, and these ones, in this case, are going to plague the whole world. And so these are very powerful angels that are coming forward. 
And one of the beasts gave the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the four beasts are the same ones that are being talked about in, in Revelation 4, 6, 7, 7, 11, and 8, 5, 6, and 8. Uh, here in, in Romans, uh, in Revelation 19, the four beasts that, uh, that have been around the throne worshiping. One of them comes and they give the, give the angels vials or bowls, okay? Um, bowls full of the wrath of God. And you can see, you know, this is now twice we've talked about the wrath of God. We're getting ready to have a, remember we had a change after the seals were broke, the last seal was broken and Jesus changed from the appearance of the lamb to the lion. Then we had the trumpets which were blown, which were more serious than the, than the seals, which seals I've always believed were man-made man pretty th things. The trumpets actually started the judgments, and now we have this little interlude between the trumpets and the vials, and we're seeing, a again, an intensification, a building poignancy that is building up here. And we're getting ready for a big shift in how God is dealing with mankind. And remember, the beast has come, the, his image has come, They've marked every, you know, they've marked everybody. They can't buy or sell without the mark. They've, they've put his number on them. Satan is getting people to worship him, which is what he's always wanted the world to do to him, is to really worship him. And he's coming out into the open more. And now we're getting ready to see a transition in God's dealing with people. And Satan's beginning to, to face the judgment of Satan as he's working on this shift in it and we're going to see the the when we next week when we look at the the vial start we're going to see the shift in how bad things are and when you think about the trumpets one you know quarter of the people being killed a quarter of the 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 water you know turning to blood and being undrinkable you know we big things happened and when we get to the vials they're going to wish that they were back in the trumpets as bad as they were and i hope you understand what i say that you know it's you know, a lot of times we do that as a human. So, you know, this was really bad, but man, I wish I was back there in that when we, you know, when, when other bad things happen to us. You know, when something worse happens, you know, man, I wish, wish I was back in. You know, it seemed bad then, but I wish I was back there type deal. And we're going to see that right now you know, as we get ready to go. You stayed back. You stayed back where you were at. The name of Jesus is all the reputation that the name represents. So... But that is why we talk often about what does it mean to be baptized in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to be learning in the name of Jesus or be called by the name of Jesus? It's his whole reputation. And it's not as big a deal in America these days as it used to be, but my dad, when we were growing up, says, you were a Wells, and that means something. And he would tell us that means you're a hard worker, you're, you're, you're dependable. And we all know, to a degree, name still means something in smaller towns especially. Uh, where you will have somebody who's, you know, you throw out the name and you're thinking, oh, lazy, lazy, worthless, good-for-nothing family, okay? And it doesn't mean everybody in that family is. It just means, in general, that family is known for that. Is known for that. Or the family is known for bringing good, hard workers. You can hire anybody in their family and know that they're going to be, be good workers. And that's what it means. That's what it means to have a name, Okay, and Jesus has a name, and we're supposed to be living at, to represent Honor his, his name. name. Yeah. And again, doesn't mean that every Christian is going to follow Jesus like they're supposed to, just like every, every 
member of a family isn't a good or bad worker, you know, dependent on that family. But in general, the family is a good family. And that's what it means, his name, his authority. And when they say the name of Jesus, it is not saying, you know, there's, there's people who, there's big movements out there that say, you've got to use the right name. You know, if you're not calling Jesus Yeshua, you're praying to the wrong person. You're praying to a false God. If you're not using the name Yahweh when you're talking to God, which is false anyway, then you're not praying to the right God. If you're not calling him Jehovah, you're not, and you're going to hear these groups that do this thing, and you're, every once in a while there's a group that will, you know, pop up and say, okay, all you people are doing it wrong. No, it's not the literal name that, that is important. It is all that his name represents that's important. You can represent your own stuff. Oh, obviously. But we have a reputation in our name. Right. And well, that goes way back. And it's very important that we keep that name precious, especially when we're dealing with God. Keep his name and our representation of his name. Abba. Because it is hard Abba. if you... Well, Abba's father. Or daddy. Yeah. Literally his daddy. So keep his name, Abba. I use that in my prayers now. Abba, when I pray with and my daddy. And the cruel world we live in these days. But, and it's up to us to make up our own mind what we want to do with our life. Well, yeah. I mean, it always has been right. me who's going to make what my name is. But you're also known by your by your, your family's reputation, in, in a, and especially in small places. And not so in, much in big cities, but in, especially in small, small, small places, it is your name is what's important. And, and we all know, and, and even in this town, I'm sure there's certain people's name, family names, if you hear them, you don't hire that person because you'd be wasting your time and arguing with them or pushing them or whatever it is. And there's other people that you would say, yes, I'd hire any one of their kids you know, to do stuff because they're good good people mm -hmm. and this is what happens out there and this is why it's important that we keep the name of God and we live according to what he wants and the world knows it's kind of funny because Christians we understand that we're saved by grace and that we're not under the law and sometimes we allow that to kind of let us live a lax Christian life and it shouldn't be because God's still living in us but you know, the world knows what they expect for Christians, and they, they're, they're a little too far the other direction. You know, they expect Christians to be perfect, and that's never going to happen. But we cannot use that as an excuse to just say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm gonna be drunk 24-7 and, and lie to everybody that I meet. You know, you're not representing God, and you may not even be a Christian if you can live that way and not, not have conviction. But this is important, his name. And, the, and then verse 8 is kind of interesting. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. I, this one struck me the first so much when I was studying this. In Exodus, after they built the temple, after they built the tabernacle, it says God's glory fell upon it and the smoke of his glory filled the temple and no man could enter it. And all through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we see times when God's presence so filled the tabernacle yeah, that no man smoke. could come, on, come into it. Until the smoke was all gone. And you see here in heaven that God's presence is so strong in the perfect temple <laughs> that no man could enter it for however long these seven plagues last. 
you know, and it, it just struck me. You know, heaven is even in heaven, God's presence can come on come come upon something so heavily that nobody could enter in. And it just it's just something that struck me. You know that because you always think of oh we're going to have access to everything in heaven. Well, at least for three and a half years or somewhere around there, people wouldn't have access to the heavenly temple. And it's a powerful thought about God always being greater than we can think. Because we would think in heaven, well, we're, you know, we've got our spiritual bodies. We could, we could enter in that temple, no problem. And no, it says here that we won't be able to even there because he is so much more than what we are. Because he's always going to be higher than us, too, no matter. Exactly. Yeah, no matter where. He's always going to be smarter. He's always going to know more. He's always, you know, there, there are people who believe that as soon as you get to heaven, you're going to know everything there is to know. No, because then you would be equal to God, and you can't be yeah, no, equal to God. I don't think we'll ever be. I believe that we will always be learning in, 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 through eternity. Well, I think I asked you before. I, I, one thing I want in heaven is I want the Bible still in heaven. Well, I don't know. We may have some other form. Some other form. Because yeah, the Bible will be irrelevant in heaven, yeah, but but, but still. it's still, in one sense, it's not it's, because the Bible is the Word of God and Jesus is the yeah, Word. Yeah. So yes, in one sense, we will have the Bible in heaven because we will always be learning from Jesus. But it won't be this, it won't be this book that we will have for all of eternity. To, and maybe it will be. But I'm just saying, you know, in heaven, we we will have the word in flesh to talk to who will go so far beyond anything that's in this word like that you'll never ever ever learn everything in here yeah and that's why i say we might even have this one who knows i mean it, there's just so much to learn but, that, but we'll have god himself teaching us we'll be back to the days of adam and eve where he came in the cool of the night and taught for the woman that did the sin first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what well, that bumper sticker, where Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Yeah. But, uh, and this one, until the seven angels are fulfilled, again, that's teleo, or, or complete, finished. It is finished. It is the, the act that finishes a project. And when Jesus was on the cross, this is the word he used, telestai. It is paid in full. It is done. It is completed. It is finished. God finished the work of our salvation on the cross. And there's something very powerful for us to grab hold of. He paid all. He paid the price for us to be able to get to heaven. And it is completely finished. It is completely done. It is nothing left to be paid. And that is powerful. No broken bones. Nothing. And let's close in prayer a little early. Lord, we just thank you for this study. We ask you, Lord, to help us just to learn to live in a way that lifts up your name, that we are worthy of your name. Lord, we look at what's coming, and first off, we're glad that we're not going to be part of it because we will be with you, and that you will be there to judge this world in a very powerful way that everybody will get what they deserve if they don't come to you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.